All right, turn to 2 Kings. If you've got your Bible tonight, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'm going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the the vision and the goals that you put inside every person here. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have brought this group together as an encouragement, as iron sharpens iron, Father, that, that we encourage one another to fulfill each other's uh, visions and goals and, and that every person in here, by, even by the end of this, this year, that things will look different, that there will just be different avenues and gates and doors that come open because of what they have put their hand to, that they put their hand to the plow they don't look back and they push forward with all of their strength and with the strength that you give them. So I thank you, Father, for determination. I thank you, Lord, for laser focus. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that is greater inside of us working, that as we work that out, Father, that it comes into fruition in our lives. So we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read through this chapter here and just give you a few few points tonight. And I kind of titled this Being a Significant Servant, a Significant Servant. And the reason I titled it that way is because servants oftentimes in whatever capacity they're serving and many times they don't feel significant it's very easy to feel like what you know everything that I'm doing is a a mundane task and everything that I do uh, just feels like I'm not getting it anywhere with it why why does it just feel like I'm I'm just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over and over you know I'm washing the same dish I'm cleaning the same table I'm vacuuming the same floor you know as moms you know we oftentimes feel like servants because we're washing the same glass, picking up the same clothes, doing the same laundry, doing the same, you know, mundane things over and over and over. But even in a servanthood role, the things that the the doors that God can open up in a servant's role is mighty. So we have to, there's some points that I want to make tonight based upon servants that uh, we see in the Bible, because just, just think about it just for a second. Most of the people that God gives us as an example in the Bible, they were servants, but you don't think of them as a a servant. Moses was actually a servant, but people tend to look at him as a high position and high power. But he was a servant. Joseph, you know, many times you think of Joseph, maybe a a little bit of his life a servant. But actually, as he uh, went into higher ranks, he was even more of a servant. He was a servant of the land of Egypt and of Pharaoh. His whole day, his whole task was actually serving the land of Egypt and making, that was a huge burden to carry. So he was a servant. So let's read through this in 2 Kings chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to point out a, a few points after we get done. It says, every time I, I get to this guy's name, I never know how to, like, whether to approach it like H- Hawaiian or Appalachian. <laughs> Does anybody else do that? Is it like Naaman or Naaman? Is it Naaman or Naaman? Hanani. Well, since I'm in, I'm in Appalachian, I'll call him Naaman. 
Now Naaman, even though I don't think that's really how you say it. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded. For through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So he was a mighty man, but he was a leper. He had leprosy or some sort of skin disease. At this time, the Armeans had gone out in bands and had, to, had, sorry, had taken a young girl from the land of Israel, and she was serving Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would go to the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went out and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Now go, said the king of Aram, I will send you with a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman departed, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel stated, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a leper? Surely you can see that he is seeking a quarrel with me. Now when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and sent a he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Please let the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman went away angry saying, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot to cure my leprosy. Are not the... Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not have washed in them and been cleansed? So he turned away and went away in a rage. Naaman's servants, however, approached him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a little child, and he was clean. Then Naaman went, sorry, and Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, Now I know for sure that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will not accept it. And although Naaman urged him to accept it, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. Yet may the Lord forgive your servant this one thing. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my arm, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant in this matter. Go in peace, said Elisha. But after Naaman had traveled a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, 
Look, my servant has spared this Armaian, Naaman, while not accepting what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi was mad. He, he didn't understand why uh, his, his master, Elisha, didn't receive payment for cleansing this guy. So he secretly does this thing. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when, he, and when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and asked, Is everything all right? Everything is all right, Gehazi replied. My master has sent me to say, I have just now discovered that two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothes. But Naaman insisted, please take two talents. And he urged Gehazi to accept them. And then he tied up two talents of silver in two bags along with two sets of clothes and gave them to two of his servants who carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the, the hill, he took the gifts from the servants and stored them in the house. Then he dismissed the man and they departed. When Gehazi went in and stood before his master Elisha, Elisha asked him, Gehazi, where have you been? Your servant did not go anywhere, he replied. But Elisha questioned him, did not my spirit go with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? In this time to accept money and clothes, sorry, is this the time to accept money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, men servants and maidservants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman will cling to you and your descendants forever. And as Gehazi left his presence, he was leprous, as white as snow. So most of the time you hear, uh, you hear the, the preaching around Naaman, you hear the preaching around Elisha, uh, maybe even Gehazi. But I really want to focus in on the servants that you, didn't, that you really don't hear much of. In fact, the first servant is the girl. The girl that was an Israelite girl, she's a young girl. But she was taken captive by the, the Armeans. Whenever the Armeans came in and, and uh, attacked Israel, they captured this servant girl, took her back, and she became the servant of Naaman's wife. And so she's serving in Naaman's home. Now, it doesn't even give her name. It doesn't, it doesn't say really anything about her other than the fact that she was young. And it says that, that she said, if only my master will go to a man that is in Israel, a prophet there, he would be cured of his leprosy. That's all she said. That's the only sentence we have recorded of this young girl. Now, the thing is, what, what I noticed about this young girl, well, I'll get into that in just a second. Okay, but the other, the other uh, couple servants that I want you to notice is also Naaman's servants that he took with him, his attendants that he took with him whenever he went to go visit Elisha. They were also in a position where they were helping him. They were like, you know, why don't you just do what the guy says? You know, I, I know you're wanting to ask for these special things, you know. Well, why can't I go dip in a cleaner river? Why can't I go do this? But can't just listen to the guy. He just asked you to do a simple thing. You know, won't it be better for you to do that and be healed and then go back home the same way you came? So they're there serving. And then you have Gehazi, who was actually the opposite. Now, he, he was doing things behind his master. He was lying. He was deceiving. He was actually stealing and, and taking things for himself. So in this, in this um, 
in this passage, I wanted to pull out a, a few things from the idea of them being a servant every day, doing things that, that don't feel like too big of a deal. You know, I'm sure when that servant girl said to, to her uh, master's wife, if, she, if he will only just go to Israel and go see Elisha, then his leprosy will be healed. I'm sure she didn't think that that was going to be some huge thing. But the thing is, it changed everything for Naaman's life. And it changed everything, I'm sure, in her household. It doesn't say what she got after that. It doesn't say how life was. But I can bet that when he got home, that he treated her with, with respect. And I'm sure that he gave her something. Like, to open that door, when people get healed of something, there's such gratitude that comes from her, their heart that I'm sure that she wasn't cast by the wayside. And, and thought nothing about anymore. So what happened in these instances, let's look at these servants for a moment. And I want to make three points, three points about being, uh, you know, in every, in every situation as you're setting goals, don't think that your everyday things, that the things that you're doing on a daily basis, don't think that they mean nothing. Continue with what you're doing. Don't think that it's just, well, man, I just keep doing the same thing over and over. I just, it's just not really changing life. Don't look at it that way. Number one, if, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make a difference, then be confident in what you're doing. So whatever goal you're setting, whatever, whatever your focus is on, be confident in what you're doing. This girl had to have confidence. Understand, she's a young slave girl from another country. Foreigners were not always treated well. So a young girl from another country, that's a servant at that, of a commander of the whole army of, the, of Aram. And, and he's over her, and she just says to her mistress, if he would only go. She had to be bold in saying that. Do you know why? Because he had already been going to other doctors. He'd been seeking other ways of trying to, to get physically better. He was a very high official in his land. He was in a position of affluence. Uh, he was below the king. In fact, that's who we called his master, was the king. And so he, think about it. If you make a suggestion to a high official and they don't like it or they think it's stupid, they can, they can laugh at you, mock you, go, what are you doing talking to me? Why are you giving me advice? Do you not think that I've been going around trying to, to get healing from this for how many years now? You know, I mean, you, she had to be brave. She had to be confident. She had to, like, stand up and believe in what she was saying, that she believed enough in, in the fact that Elisha was a real prophet. That's the same thing as believing in the word of God in your life. It's the same thing as believing in, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it with confidence. It doesn't mean that you may not have fear. I'm sure she was probably a little hesitant about speaking it. What if she sent him to Israel and he came back with the same disease? Think about that. We don't think about that, but she probably thought about that. Because to say this would have had consequences if it would have done nothing. If he went there and, and totally embarrassed himself. You understand what I'm saying? Like, she, he, she had to have confidence. You know, it took confidence and boldness. 
for Esther to go ask to be uh, to go into the court of the king. It took confidence and boldness for Moses to, to leave the, the flock, the land that he had gotten used to for 40 years, to go back to Egypt where he had been chased down. You know, they, they were ready to hunt him down in Egypt for killing somebody. It took confidence to go back to Egypt. It took confidence for uh, David to stand up to Goliath. It took confidence for him to look at everybody else and go, why aren't you guys taking care of this? You know, it takes confidence. It doesn't mean that you don't, that you don't in some aspect feel the effects of fear, but it means you rise higher than that. You remember where you came from. You remember who your God is. You remember his word. You remember what he's calling you to do. You remember the, the assignment he's given you, the time that he's brought you up in this for, the purpose that he has for you, and you say, I'm going to overcome that, and I'm going to make sure that I stay on track. I'm not going to allow fear to conquer me in this. It doesn't mean that you don't feel it. It means that you choose to rise above it. So you, if you want to make a difference, you must be confident. Number two, you must be credible. You must be credible. And what I mean by that is, is you see what Gehazi did. He was not credible. He, he could, you, do you understand that Gehazi was in prime position to be the next major prophet in the land? Elijah had Elisha that he taught personally. Elisha was a servant to Elijah. It doesn't talk much about that, but it does say that he ministered to Elijah. That doesn't mean that he prayed over him. It means that he, he took care of the fire. He, he served him. He brought him things that he needed. He made sure he was fed. If Elijah needed him to run out and go get something, that, these are the things that Elisha did before he actually snapped the water and the waters divided in two, before he raised anybody from the dead, before he, he did uh, you know miracles for widows. These are the things that Elisha did. So it's the, the mundane task. You know, he could have been like, man, how many fires do I have to build for this prophet? How many times do I have to run out and get his toilet paper? How many times do I have to go to the store and get milk and eggs for him? How many times do I got to milk the cow? How many times do I got to do this? How many times? He could have had that attitude. I, you know, he called me to be in ministry. He called me because I was, I was going to do ministry. And now I'm doing this? I'm sweeping the floors? He could have had the attitude, but he didn't. And he continued to serve up until the very last moment that Elijah was taken off. And then Elisha stepped, boom, right in his shoes, right where, right where Elijah left off. He stepped right into that place. Gehazi was in position for that very same thing. What ruined it? His credibility. He did not remain faithful to the basic foundation things of, of be honest, be reliable, don't deceive, don't look out for yourself, don't be trying to, to twist things around to make it work in your favor. When the man of God said this, you, you went behind his back and did something else. You were trying to get for yourself. So be credible be credible even in the in in the examples that i gave you before like esther when she went into the the court do you think the king would have given the grace to her and said whatever you want what is it that you want esther 
I'll give you anything you want. Do you think the king would have done that if she would have been some sassy chick that just came in and going, you know, I think you think you're all great leading this country and all, and, you know, I've got some things. I've got a bone I want to pick with you because you just made a law that wasn't right. Do you think if she went in with that kind of an attitude that he was going to be like, oh, yeah, so you're right, sorry, because she was graceful. Do you know how the king picked her? The king chose her because she was concerned about what the king liked. When she was brought into the king's uh, realm and she was being prepared for the king because he had to choose, you know, out of, it was like a beauty pageant, and he was going to choose his woman. <laughs> and you know what she did? She asked the, the guy that was there to help, what does he like? What does the king like? What, what color dress should I wear? What does he like? What's his style? She was asking his taste. She wasn't going like, ooh, I want that jewelry. Ooh, I want that one. Look at all those diamonds. Ooh, I like that dress. And no, I want my hair up. I don't care if he likes it down. I want it up. Like, she was concerned about what it was. She was serving him. And in fact, the funny thing is, Mordecai, her cousin, uncle, uncle, um, Mordecai actually had to go and explain to her the edict because you know how, how they'll make laws and you read the law and you're like, I don't even understand what in the world that says. Like she didn't understand. Women were not in a position where they were uh, looked at as, as influential in the realm of politics and economics and all of that. So, you know, they just kind of did their thing. They did what they were trained to do as women. So he had to explain to her what it said. So can you imagine how unqualified she felt to go before the king and stand there on behalf of the Jewish nation and say, what you're doing is wrong, that there's been an edict to, to take my people out. There's been a ruling, a decree to take my people out. And I'm here on behalf of my people that you will turn that thing around and take Haman to the slaughterhouse instead of my people. She had to, to stand in something that she didn't have full understanding. You know how many times we back off because we're like, oh, I don't understand that. I'm guilty of that myself. I'm the first to admit, well, I don't understand that completely. Now I don't feel qualified to speak about it. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, and they said, well, I don't feel qualified to speak about it. I'm just kind of gathering, gathering the information. <laughs> this person's been gathering information for 20 years on it. <laughs> like, no joke. I'm like, you, you've got enough information to start, but in, you're, you're still going to be gathering information until Jesus comes. So many times we talk ourselves out of things that God has called us to do. God has called us to assignments that we're like, I don't, I don't, I'm not qualified yet. I'm not qualified yet. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the one to be talking about that. Are you smiling at me? Are you pointing your feet? No, this is not what this group is for. This group is to point our finger at ourselves and say... <laughs> I'm joking. So 
you know, looking at, am I, am I credible in, in areas? And it doesn't mean like credibility as in I, I know everything, but credible as in is your character credible? Are you honest? Are you trustworthy? Are you, are you uh, doing what you're supposed to be doing? Does someone have to put a, a fire under your butt every single time? Or are you, you doing it yourself? Are you making sure that you yourself are getting these things done? Um, are you operating in self-control? Think about it. If you don't operate in self-control and you're a loose cannon or your mouth runs all the time and your boss doesn't want to send you into something because he doesn't know what you're going to say next, you know, he, you're not going to get an open door. You're not going to get that assignment. So credibility has everything to do with it. If you're speaking from a place of pride instead of humbleness, you're going to have closed doors. If you're not honest and you're not trustworthy, you're going to have closed doors instead of open doors. So all of these things that, that will open doors for us if we will be credible. Number three. Number three, solve a problem Solve a problem, but solve it for people, not for yourself. I'm not saying don't solve your own problems, but what I mean, in life, God has given every person a problem to solve, believe it or not. You on the inside of you, think of every, think of every invention, every great thing, everything that we use, everything that we think, everything we've been taught, it has come from the inside of a person. It doesn't just happen. It comes from the mind of someone that thought it up. It came from the heart and the compassion of someone that had the fire or the drive to do something about it. Everything, even, even wars, even peace, everything has come from the inside of a person. So we are to figure out solutions. This is what opens up and makes opportunities. Joseph solved a problem, but he wasn't looking to solve a problem for himself. What was he doing? He was solving other people's problems. That's how his gates opened every single time, was solving someone else's problem. Daniel solved people's problems. That's what opened the, the doors for him. That's what brought these men to, to high places of the land because they were solving someone else's economical problem, financial problem, political problem, uh, relationship problem. They had a dream, and boom, he interpreted a dream. It solved a problem, but it was not just a problem that he was having because he was in distress over it, but it was also a key to their economic and financial issue of the land for the next 14 years. So solving a problem in life. I heard someone uh, say the other day, uh, they were asking about something, and I, and I said, you know, I, I don't really see any, any good, I don't want to give my, my idea away because <laughs> it's not completely established yet. But they, they were asking about, you know, if I was going to do this for someone, you know, what, what would, which one would you do? And I was like, I, don't, I, I can't recommend any because I'm not pleased with any of them that I've seen myself. So uh, that's my, one of my next projects is because I know myself I can't go out and pick out one of these things because I'm not pleased with any of them. So I myself want to create this thing so that other people have access to a better thing. I'm not taking your idea. 
I'm not stealing your idea. Your, your idea is your idea. It wasn't even a conversation with you. You got to look on your face like, hmm. <laughs> no, it's none of your ideas. No. <laughs> Every one of these people here could have been a victim. You know, think about it. The, the, the slave girl that was, that was captured could have played victim mentality. Why am I here? Man, they've captured me. Now I'm a slave for the rest of my life. I, I was 14 years old. I, I, I had my life to live. And now I've been captured. I've been brought in to this other land. I don't understand their language. I don't understand their customs. I don't understand their ways. And now I'm being brought up as a servant in the house of this guy. And, and instead, she solved his problem. Instead of sitting there crying about her problem. Everything, I mean, so many people could have been crying over their problem. Moses could have cried over his problem. Joseph could have cried over his problem. Even Esther could have cried. She was in the royal palace, but who knows? Her, her husband could have been ugly. I mean, she could have been married to an ugly king. You don't know what he looked like. She, she might have had to deal with that every day. You don't know. <laughs> she could have been sitting there thinking, man, you know, little Joe down the, down the street that I grew up with, I have had my eye on him ever since I was little, and, and now we got this beauty competition, and now the king picked me, and I, I'm, st I'm stuck with, with this king that he won't, he won't comb his hair. He didn't even have a nice name. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yes. <laughs> and it's the same thing as what Gehazi wa was doing. He was trying to solve his own problem. He w he w I don't have enough. I, I, want, I want those new those new rags. I want those new, uh, you know, robes, whatever. I want that, those bags of silver. I, you know, Elisha doesn't pay me enough for what I do. He, he should be paying me more. Every, his eyes were on who? On himself. But the other servants' eyes were on what they could solve for their master, what they could solve for someone else. And as they did that, opportunities came open. Isn't that encouraging? Yes. Okay. All right. That's, that's uh, pretty much, I hope you got something out of, out of that tonight as you're continuing on with your goals. It was an encouragement as you're continuing on with your goals. Do not get discouraged. Do not stop. Do not quit. Do not uh, back up. Do not allow discouragement or fear to set in. Be bold. Be courageous. Continue to keep your your uh, credibility and all of the character, the character traits, all the fruits of the Spirit in check. Uh, all of these things, even when it's easy to slack or slip, don't. Just don't. Be holy as God is holy, and then look for ways to solve a problem. And I know that the, they were solving, I mean, what do you have on the inside of you that you can solve? You know what I'm saying? I told, uh, I dropped a Grisha off the other day uh, at work, and I, and I saw this big, huge weed growing out the side of the building where I dropped her off, and I'm like, Grisha, go ask your boss Make sure she's not wanting to keep that. And then, and then go cut that thing down. She's 
<laughs> no, you probably couldn't because it was it was too thick. But that's how I think. Like, go above and beyond. I know that's not the the job description of a waitress, but go above and beyond. That's what opens doors. People go, I can't get rid of them. I'm I'm willing to pay them a dollar more an hour because they they do, they go above and beyond. They do what no one else. I can't imagine. Like continuing to run this business without them because they do the extra and they do more than what anybody else does and that's just irreplaceable. Solve a problem. So it doesn't have to be you going in going, okay, you have any dreams lately? Like tell me your dream. I'll interpret it for you, okay? Like, you know, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to say, well, you know, what did Moses do? Moses, Moses did this or, you know, Esther did that. Like I've got to free a nation. No, just do what God has put inside of you. Everybody has the ability to do the physical things, and they also have things on the inside of them that are natural, natural abilities that, that God has put in you, natural passions that God has put in you to do. All right. 